important values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So the question you will be asked in 2024 if Joe Biden runs for re-election will be, are you better off now than you were four years ago? The answer right now is no. The highest number of people in 37 years say they are worse off financially than they were at the beginning of the Biden administration. That is not good news. Does that mean that I think that every, every bad thing that's happened is the president's fault? I don't either. Listen, I try to be fair. I've been watching politics for a long time. I have my stances on politics. When I think that I'm right about something, I'll give you examples of why I'm right. But I don't want the American financial institutions to fail. I don't want to see layoffs. I don't want working Americans paying a dear price and uh, failing. I don't want to see that at all. But anybody that thinks that the policies of this administration have not added to, in many ways, the bad things that are going on, you're wrong. I mean, just it's simply wrong. Um, I will tell you that when you talk to people uh, in the here, I'm going to give you the political back and forth. When you bring up the fact that gasoline was under three dollars per gallon all four years of the Trump administration, you will hear people push back and say, well, COVID, everything was shut down. There was no demand during COVID. So, of course, prices were low. Not talking about the time before and kind of after COVID as things began were racing where we had job creation was through the roof, wage increase was through the roof, and there was no inflation and gasoline was less than three bucks a gallon. So that's the pushback on the other side. But turnabout is also fair play in this. If you look every week since the president took office, President Biden, gasoline prices have gone up. And do I, I think that is absolutely the key to the inflation we've seen. And so what about the fact that uh, this president has gone after manufacturing? This is the this for me, again, is the issue. You've got 41 percent of people saying they are worse off than they were when this administration started. They have to take some responsibility and they won't. That's the biggest issue here. There are a couple of things that have played a big role in this. One of them is their denial of any kind of long term inflation coming. They called it transitional inflation. This was the mantra of this administration from the president himself to the vice president, to the uh, to the press secretaries, to the different agencies when they were out, they would all use the exact same phrase until it was too late. And they were warned by experts that had no political dog in the fight, none. They were just pointing out what they were seeing. And severe inflation took hold, and it's a, it is a hard ship to turn around. So when you have this many people saying they're worse off, it is hard for people not to blame it on Washington, D.C. I've made the comparison. I did it earlier to the Carter administration and the Carter administration. Again, I was a little boy, but in the Carter administration, there was a fake oil shortage and fuel shortage and gas lines and the price of fuel went through the roof and interest rates were jacked up to a point where you look at interest rates now. You want to talk. And now there is not a direct connection to when interest rates tick up at the Fed that it goes right into directly into mortgage rates. But we do know that there's some activity and that they do coincide a little bit at some point. Mortgage rates for homes were in the double digits, double digits. What you would look at now is possibly a credit card rate. 
So it was it was hard to drag inflation down. It's one of the reasons why Ronald Reagan won 49 states, because the four years of the Carter administration and then the first couple of years of the Reagan administration, it was taking to turn that ship around. But when we got to the mid 1980s, to the 1984 election in November of 1984, the American economy was going along very, very well. And Ronald Reagan won 49 states, including a Republican that won California in the presidential race. And it was because America votes with their wallet. There was a sense of patriotism. And there was patriotism because Americans felt like their hard work was paying off again. Better days were ahead. That's not the feeling from the American public now. We are seeing a strong job market, uh, and the president should brag about that. And he's going to in a State of the Union address. They're going to talk about this massive creation of jobs, whether he gets credit for that or it's credited because we are coming out of COVID and jobs are going to recover anyway, whatever it is, if we're going to say he has to take the hit uh, for the negative stuff, then he gets to stand up and say he gets to take credit for the good stuff. And thankfully, jobs are still there. But when you see layoffs, when you see layoffs beginning in the tech industry, when you see companies preparing for a a recession this year, when the Dow is down, the S&P is down today, the Dow is down, and the NASDAQ are all down. The NASDAQ is down over 1%. uh, The S&P down about uh, uh, three quarters of a percent. And uh, the Dow is down about uh, 0.28%. But it's another down day. We are seeing... uh, We are well below the highs for all of the stock markets we've seen. America is going to come back. I have no doubt that America will make a comeback. We do. Our economy is strong. Our people are industrious. And we are going to come back. But if you're going to continue to raise taxes on businesses now at a time when they can ill afford it. Um, One of the stories – I thought this was interesting. One of the stories that I read that having to do with the economy is that everybody knew that the end of the increase in food assistance – COVID food assistance uh, assistance was coming. The SNAP program, people that were getting a higher number or higher dollar amount than the SNAP program was going to see some of that money taken away because COVID money has gone away. And the headline said, but it couldn't have come in a worse time. Where are the people talking about the tax increases on small and large businesses, that the minimum tax for corporations is going up at a time when we are watching layoffs begin to happen, when labor costs are through the roof, when the supply chain issues are still out there and keeping things at a very high price? Think about what this is doing. So I'll use one of my favorite analogies, which are restaurants. If you're a breakfast restaurant, my mom and I go to breakfast a lot on the weekends when she's in town and she is in town and you go to a breakfast restaurant, their labor costs are through the roof. Eggs are still amazingly expensive with what's happened with the bird flu and then that huge uh, chicken farm, um, egg farm, I believe in Connecticut that burned to the ground. We are still seeing big supply chain issues in that industry. Now you pile on top of that that these small businesses, after they eke out any kind of a profit, there's a higher minimum tax. Where are the stories saying this is the worst timing for this tax increase? At a time when the federal government is spending at a crazy pace. We do something at 1120 every day. It's called Did You Hear This? It's how we catch you up on the big news stories. It happens here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, it's time to catch you up on the big stories and the big headlines. Did you hear this? 
Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. This is what it sounded like over the weekend when the Chinese reconnaissance balloon was taken out of the air. Break one. Flash one. That is a big kill. Did it take too long for this to happen? Yeah, you know, um, I'm going to wait and see. My initial inclination is, yeah, if uh, if there could have been, there had to be somewhere else over the continental United States that they believe they could have safely shot this down without endangering people. Um, what kind of information has it been gathering? Was it able to transmit that information back to the Chinese while it traversed the continental United States? These are all questions that I don't know the answers to. It needed to be taken out to send the message to China that whether this was an accident or an on purpose, we are not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. Um, but did it, we- did it take too long? My initial inclination is yes. But I want to wait and find out, A, what intelligence we gathered from it staying in the air as long as it did. And what information was sent back to the Chinese during this thing uh, to find out how much you know, information we lost. That will tell me more. <laughs> Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says a certain piece of legislation helped inflation begin its decline. The Inflation Reduction Act lowers the cost of prescription drugs, health care costs. President Biden has taken steps to lower gas prices. They're down more than $1.50. Do you think it helped? No, I don't think it helped. I will tell you um, that if there was any help to it, it was offset by uh, some of the bad things about it. Now, as far as prescription goes, drugs go. Um, I would ask everybody, I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on, go ask which drugs they are now negotiating. And how many drugs are out there compared to the minuscule number of drugs that are being negotiated is number one. As far as gas prices go, gas prices set a record. So where else could we have to go but down? We are still paying much more for gasoline, approaching $4 a gallon, some experts are saying again. We are well over where we were at the beginning of this administration. So saying prices are down After they have gone all the way up to a record, isn't much of a record. So I would say there hasn't been much help from this. And the numbers prove it out with about 41 percent of Americans saying they are financially worse off now than they were at the beginning of this administration. That's the real number. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. New York City Mayor Eric Adams went to extremes to promote a new migrant shelter. He spent the night under the enclosure at the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal. He slept on a cot. The mayor played video games as well last night, laced up his sneakers this morning. Adams pointed out he picked the coldest night of 2023 to sleep at the facility, and he says that proves it's warm and welcoming. What point was he trying to prove here? I think that he's trying to prove to the people People that refuse to go there, that it's not a bad place, that it's something that's caring for people, that even though people are in this country under the circumstances they are, that we don't, we are not torturing people, we're not putting them in bad conditions. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of his politically at all, but him going there sheds light on the fact that our people, our government, the United States citizens, are still treating people in a good way, even though they're not obeying our laws, that we are not inhumane. And so I think that's the message he was sending, and I think he sent it. Nicole Corey, the executive director and co-founder of Natural Restorations, talked with you today about how the organization took part in NFL's Green Week at the Lower Salt River. It was the largest community volunteer cleanup event ever implemented by NFL Green. We had 401 volunteers 
help us remove 7,849 pounds of trash, as well as 434 uh, invasive adult apple snails. Is it important for major organizations like the NFL to get involved in the local communities? Yeah, I think it is. And I think that I'm glad she was on the show today because I spent a part of the show today railing about man-made climate change and the activism and politics of it. So there is a divide when you start hearing about climate change or about environmentalism. There is a political divide. But what she is doing in this group is proving that there is somewhere in the middle that we all can agree on, which is we live in a beautiful place and we want to keep it that way. And when volunteers go out and volunteer their time to clean up thousands of pounds of trash and they're doing things that are helping the Salt River and the ecosystem, how is that a bad thing? I don't care where you are politically. It's a great organization that's doing really good things and what they're doing with veterans just puts the icing on the cake. So I'm glad she was here. All right, that is Did You Hear This? Great job, Julie. We'll be doing it again, I believe, all week long, depending on what happens when we get out. We'll be out there tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Are you, Julia, pretty excited? We're going to be at Radio Row tomorrow for Super Bowl coverage. Oh, totally. I am, I am too. Just, just being down there getting credentials yesterday was fun, so it should be cool to see what happens on Radio Row. I've been dreaming about Radio Row since I was a kid. Really? So. Oh, yeah. This is like a huge career. So thing. not only is it Radio Row, but it's going to be sports, and yeah. you are you're quite possibly a bigger sports fan than I am, which is hard to say. Maybe. I mean, I only took it so far as to major in sports journalism. Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even spell sports journalism. So you, you win. You win. <laughs> um, so that's Did You Hear This? We'll do it again tomorrow. What we are going to do in a moment is we're going to go back to policing. The founder of the Black Lives Movement has gone after the Biden administration and called them cowards for not defunding the police. We'll talk about that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. <clears throat> we got to talk about this, uh, about the Black Lives Matter uh, matters in a moment. But um, I just was looking because it was suggested to me. I just looked up. Um, have you seen this, Julia, George Santos, the latest? Have you seen the latest about Spider-Man? Oh, yeah. I mean, he just lies about everything. Okay, so I, it is now official that George Santos is the Tommy Flanagan of uh, the Congress. You don't even know who that is, do you? Maybe not. There is an actor, a comedian named John Lovitz. John Lovitz was on Saturday Night Live back when it used to be funny. And, um, and John Lovitz played a character that was a cla- – all he did was lie. He lied about everything. He used to say uh, his girlfriend was, yeah, Morgan Fairchild. Yeah, that's the ticket. That was the character. That's what he did. George Santos is officially the Tommy Flanagan of of the Congress. Now I know who you're talking about. Okay, good. It makes total sense. Yes, absolutely. So anyway, I just I was distracted with that, so now I've distracted you with it. Um, Black Lives Matter founder calls out Biden and called it deep cowardice for not defunding the police. Talked about this earlier today. Um, I have been – I spent a lot of time. I'm 
um, doing my own homework and making sure that I am, listen, I'm unapologetically pro-law enforcement. Always have been, always will be. I've got cops in my family, my brother, my sister-in-law. She's the sister I never had. They are both deputies in my hometown. My brother is on the command staff now as a captain. His wife has maintained being a deputy while raising kids. She still works as a deputy in my hometown. I've had the absolute privilege of calling many people, my friends that are in police departments around in sheriff's departments here in Arizona. I think it is an honorable profession. The idea that when somebody does something wrong and there are what happened in Memphis is horrible. What happened to George Floyd is horrible, that there are times when police officers do the wrong thing. They should be and usually are held accountable for what they do. And the idea that every cop in Memphis now is going to be looked at the same way these five officers are um, or the Minneapolis Police Department or the Phoenix Police Department policing in general is an absurd statement. Now, I didn't pull up the stories, but you go and look at how many times now in the last two to three years we have heard uh, stories of teachers molesting children, preying upon children. There was just a story Two days ago, three days ago in the news that a teacher at an elementary school was having uh, a relationship. He called this girl his girlfriend. She was 12 when it started. Now, I have never in my mind when I see a story like that, as disgusting as it is, I have never once thought to myself, well, that's a that's systemic problem in teaching that most teachers become teachers so they can molest kids. But that is the view some people have of policing, that because they are an authority figure, people are have an anti-authority point of view many times. So the belief is, see, that's what cops are. They love that badge. They're just power hungry. They are just going to beat you up. They are here to be, abuse you. And they believe that as about the profession itself. And it's funny because you take a look at the stories we see about teachers. You've heard me talk about public education. I think public education is failing in Arizona, and the statistics and the test scores prove it. But I admire teachers, and when someone does something wrong and you're in a position of leadership, when you are in a position of trust, and you abuse that trust and you especially abuse a child, there's a special place in hell for you, in my opinion. But I've never gone after the entire profession. I've never gone after a school district or a specific school and said there's a problem with every teacher in that school. There should be retraining. Let's defund education. Let's do that. Let's take the money away. That's ridiculous. I believe that most teachers, the vast majority of teachers, just like the vast majority of people that go into law enforcement, go into that profession to do good in their community, that they want to be a positive influence in the place they work. So the idea of the Black Lives Matter movement and defunding the police, saying that the way to make streets and cities better is to have less police officers, has been proven to be not only wrong, but dangerous. It got so bad that the very same people in political places that were buying into the defund the police movement quickly returned uh, or turned around and went 180 degrees in the opposite direction and claimed that they never said that. 
And I will say that I've had my and I'm sure I will continue to have my political differences with our mayor in the city of Phoenix. I've been at a couple of events with her where I was very happy to hear her say publicly to everyone, we have never and we will never defund the police in Phoenix. And I'll tell you why I think that was a courageous statement coming from our mayor, Kate Gallego, um, is because she her political party doesn't like that message. That um, it's either you're on the side of that movement or you're quiet about it. For her to speak up in support of law enforcement and say, and I've got political, when we listen, you listen to the show, she knows it, we disagree on politics a lot of the time. But to stand up and say that, it, knowing that you're going to get a backlash from your own base that says you shouldn't talk about that. She said it. I've, I've heard her, I've been in person with her and heard her say it twice. There are stories of more and more people taking the law into their own hands out of necessity. Uh, there was a store clerk who was shot in the back by a suspect. He was able to return fire and kill the suspect that was robbing his store. Um, we are hearing more and more of this. There was a story out of San Francisco that the San Francisco Police Department responded to a burglary almost 15 hours after the burglary call went in. And we don't want that kind of a society. I certainly don't. You know, I don't. I, I want a society where we it's law and order, where the police have the upper hand on crime. When crimes are committed, that I am going to have my day in court, meaning that if I'm the victim of a crime, you're going to be caught. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be put on trial and you're going to pay a price for committing that crime. One of the other stories, and I talked about this earlier, is a story about prostitutes. Now, in this case, they're transgender prostitutes, but it doesn't matter to me if you're, you know, again, the people out there that say prostitution is a is a victimless crime. I don't necessarily agree with you anyway, but there's no way you condone this. Prostitutes solicit sex right out in front of a Catholic elementary school. Police are handcuffed after California Democrats, and it doesn't matter to me what political party it is, passed a law to protect transgender sex workers. So the police are having a hard time stopping this from happening because of new legislation that leadership in the city have passed. So it is a lot of things that play into this. Having enough officers on the street to do the job, whether it's officers, troopers, or deputies. Having a, the city council, town council, whatever it is, have laws in place that are meant to make sure that the criminals don't have the upper hand. It's the other way around. And last but not least, working hand in hand with the prosecutors, whether it's at the city or the county or the state level or the federal level, that are going to vigorously uh, prosecute people, having the staff they need to make sure that people that commit crimes pay the penalty for those crimes. I just gave you a recipe for success, but are we doing them in the cities where we live? That's all we should be worried about. Are we doing it? What we're going to do in just a moment is we're going to go back to schools because school vouchers are gaining traction around the country. Public education, not necessarily happy with this, but one school district in Arizona making headway with test scores. We'll talk about it next. Strong Valley.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a few minutes left before we close it out. Talked earlier today about the Buckeye Elementary School District having really good results. They're seeing a great increase in students and aptitude testing, and I think it's great and it should be recognized. We talk an awful lot about the failure in public schools and how they are not performing at grade level, and it's a scary situation for many, many people, as it should be. Um, But what we have gotten away from in public education as a whole has been exactly what they're saying they're doing in Buckeye. And I don't know what the curriculum change is. I don't know any of this. But I want to find out. I'd love to have somebody on from the Buckeye School District to talk about this. But they're saying it's at the core of what they do. They've had 27 students um, get a perfect score on the Arizona Academic Standard Assessment. Um, That's, you know, there's a lot of kids in those schools. But to see kids get a perfect score, seeing them... um, they see the increase. They say there was a ready readiness to say, how can I enhance my practices? How can I learn about what has been done? What does research say about how kids learn and how to read? What Wait, about how kids learn how to read and, and kids to learn how to and complete the numbers effectively. The executive director of curriculum and instruction, um, Anna Gutierrez, who said this uh, from the district. There are all things – those are all things that teach as teachers we need continuous development on it's really their eye openness I'm sorry, it's really their openness to learn, to collaborate, and then apply. They go to a training, and they can go and talk to a peer, but what happens in your within your four walls in front of 25 or 30 children is what matters. I think it's terrific. I really do. I, I don't know what changes they've made. As I said, my grandkids live in Buckeye, and I want them to have the best opportunity in an education And when you see things like this work, and who knows if this is going in the right direction of what happens, we've, you know, the big argument about school choice and one of the national stories in front of me, um, and this is from the Wall Street Journal, school vouchers gain momentum as states look at learning options. At least 19 states are considering student funding for private schools and homeschooling in the wake of the pandemic. Parents have awakened to what's going on in public schools. Public schools have to understand that what parents saw during online learning and the reaction by school boards to the parents' uh, outcry has what's led us to what's happening right now. Parents are not activists. You make them activists. When someone does something that they believe is not in the best interest of their child, especially when it's a school, and they reach out and say, what's going on? And they're shut down. And not every school district did that. I can tell you that there are school districts that respond phenomenally. When a parent asks a question, they get an answer. It's called customer service. But when you get bad customer service somewhere and you don't like what they've done, you uh, give them a bad review online and you never go back and you tell all your friends, I'll never go back there because you have choices. When parents don't feel like they have choices, then they get angry. And that's what's happening here with public education. So now in Arizona, parents can take that money and use it any way they see fit to educate their child. So the pushback and there's two. Two main areas of pushback. One is lack of accountability in charter schools or these other schools where public dollars are being sent or spent. I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. And the other one is about, well, these are largely kids that already have their uh, already in private school. So what we're doing is just paying for private school with the public school money. A, the tax dollars belong to the parents, and it's probably been long overdue that a parent can offset the cost of tuition. 
because they're already paying into the school system. Now, the other part of it is now, what if what if somebody because I've had people say, well, I don't have kids in school at all. So why should I have to pay for the schools? We all understand why we pay for the schools with our property taxes, because it helps the community. The better question would be, as someone who is a taxpayer. Why can't I redirect my own tax dollars to a private school if I wish? If I decided Brophy or Scottsdale Christian or or any of these schools were the ones that I wanted to direct my income, why wouldn't I be able to do that? Now, that's going to scare people with even that idea. But when we talk about the school system, we got to talk about success. And when you hear people say there's no accountability, there are people who are complaining there's no accountability at the public school. Also, you're, you, are, you are guessing that a parent won't do their homework before they send their child somewhere else. That somehow without you telling the parents what is a good school, they won't figure it out for themselves. I also don't think that's the right way to go about it. You hear the music. You want to keep in touch between shows at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter. That's my personal Twitter handle at Broomhead Show Update. You want our guests that we have coming up on the show. And uh, Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram is how you stay in touch between shows. Tomorrow morning, beginning at just about 8 o'clock, we will be broadcasting from the Super Bowl Radio Row. I am looking forward to it. I hope you can join me for part of your day. Thanks for being around today. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you.